So many, so many, so many damn books. Hi there and hello, my name is Christopher and this is So Many Damn Books, A Blessing, A Curse, A Podcast. I am featuring some of the fellow cursed, the listeners of this show. I guess I shouldn't call you all cursed. But that being said, we do all love books and it was so fun to talk to other book lovers. It was such an enjoyable way to spend a Saturday afternoon. And I hope you all, as listeners, enjoy hearing these conversations because I kind of want to do this again. Anyway, without further ado, here are the readers. Bomba's mission is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you're also giving to someone in need. Bombas designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. I have many, many pairs of Bombas socks. They come in tons of options. They're really beautiful colors. They're so, so comfortable. I'm always happy to be pulling a pair of Bombas socks from my drawer. There are comfy performance styles for every sport and activity that keeps you moving. Go to bombas.com slash SMDB and get 20% off your first purchase. These are expensive socks, so this is a really nice deal. Go to bombas.com slash SMDB. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash SMDB for 20% off. Bombas.com slash SMDB. I'm Moti Lieberman, um, co-owner of the Argo Bookshop in downtown Montreal, um, enjoying our new somewhat larger location now uh, since last October. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. We're really happy to be in a space that is more suiting the kind of store that we are at this point and also is in better repair than where we were previously. Um, so that's been pretty great. and. Looking forward to getting to more events and stuff in person eventually, but you know, um, hopefully we'll get there. Um, and as a reader, I do a lot of um, reading with Japan, like Japanese fiction, um, genre fiction, literary fiction, mostly fiction. Don't read a ton of nonfiction, um, but yeah, pretty strongly on the fiction side. Well, and you've you've been on the recorded on the show before, I believe, as well. That is true. So thank you for being a returning guest. Yeah, I feel very special. It's nice to be able to come back um, and get a chance to talk again. So tell me, have you bought anything for yourself, not for the store or from the store for yourself recently? gotten a couple of things um so one um i just got elaxo um by darcy little badger which is a book that's kind of a alternate um world sort of version like a lot more indigenous culture is still around um 
kind of got a spooky vibe to it from what I've heard. Um, it's paranormal. She can kind of like call out to give us an app and come back and talk with her. And it's a book that I've been meaning to get to for a while. Like it was on a lot of like best ever fantasy, whatever lists back in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it takes a while to get to things sometimes. Yeah. It's not like you weren't reading other things. No, no, there's, there are effectively infinite books. Um, <laughs> So that's just sort of the way that it goes. And I'm also going to be um, appearing on like a panel at a small sci-fi convention here in Montreal. Uh, mm-hmm. And for that, it's a, it is a good read panel. So I got one of the books that we're going to be discussing for that, which is um, The Wolf and the Whale, um, which is also a little bit, it's like part like Inuit, part um, Viking, set about a thousand years ago kind of fantastical, also a little bit spooky um, from my understanding, but I haven't gotten started on that one yet. So kind of looking forward to it though. It seems like you're heading for a a spooky early summer. Maybe that's just the mood. It's kind of a little bit of an accident, but like once you're sort of, I mean, look, the previous book I read was a frothy, gay, romantic comedy novel. So it's not all on the same board. Tell me about um, the last book you loved. Yeah, I think the most recent um, thing that I read that I really enjoyed was Farthing um, by Joe Walton, which is, um, so this is an alternate history book came about 15-ish years ago now, and it's set in a world where the um, British government kind of just decided to appease Hitler in 1942 and like made a separate piece and kind of pulled out of the war and then on one part it's like this cozy little manor house mystery where it's like a politician of the the person that brokered that piece um gets murdered and trying to figure out like what actually happened with that Mm -hmm. um and then it's in part like a how does society end up in fascism um book um where things kind of slide and um the author has said before that she really wishes this book would become less relevant um, and people would stop recommending it on that front um, as much, but yeah. kind of where we are. And it, like, it, it is quite well done stylistically. Like I, you get both the kind of like manor house tone and there's some good like red herrings and like figuring out the mystery stuff, but also like a, a really incisive view on, I think, society and human condition and sort of like what leads people down these paths she's amazing she's really great she, she wrote a, a a book about a utopia recently that i was interested in i the only novel of hers that i've read is among others which yeah. is her sort of fairy one of her fairy stories it is a great book about the importance of um science fiction book clubs also which is <laughs> yeah great. Yeah, you read that and then like your like TBR book pile of like sci-fi books from like the 1970s like explodes. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, she makes a good case for all of the those types of writers. Yeah. Yeah, she's so varied. I really I she's local here too. We've um done the book launches for her past um couple novels and um or what you will like her most recent one was also just great like um just the idea of sort of a character, like the spark of like what a character is like that's living inside of an author's head, knows that the author is um, 
probably going to die in the not particularly distant future and is trying to figure out a way how to like escape and become immortal. Um, and wow. just a, a great idea. And wants to bring the author along, wants to figure out a way to have her become immortal too. Um, just a lot about like the nature of creativity and different stories and different parts of the world. Also has a lot of really nice stuff about Florence for some reason. It'll really make you want to go to this one restaurant in Florence if you read that book. Um, <laughs> Say the title um, again. It's called Or What You Will. Um, or or What You Will. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like she, she she's one of these authors that you could go and read all of her books and they don't necessarily read like the last one. And, you know, you get a very interesting view of of sci-fi and fantasy. She hits on an idea and then she wants to go with it. And then once she has sort of grappled with it for the book she's doing with it, she's like, great, I did that. I want to do another thing now. That's that's really what it feels like. <laughs> yeah. So you can give one book to one famous person. Which book and which famous person would you give that book to? I spent a lot of time thinking about this question when I, I saw it because I was like, you know, I don't want to be overly facile and just be like, I want to give my favorite novel to my favorite person. It's like, no, I want to do something that I think would have a fun cultural impact on the world. And To Say Nothing of the Dog by Connie Willis is this really like fun kind of sci-fi comedy thing about time travel um and just a book that just makes you laugh a lot so it's some like good emotional punch to it um but commenting on society in like the early 20th century from trying to find a particular like really unimportant artifact that like the, one of the benefactors of the like time travel program wants them to go back and find what happened to um it's a total <laughs> mcguffin piece um and just like, the book is so funny, just like this character should not have been in this place. She wasn't really trained there properly and sort of by accident up there where there's a different time travel person um, who's like, no, you're doing this all wrong. And um, I think that the way that that book works, I feel like Taika Waititi would make like a really fun show with it. And mm. it's a really good match of like creative material with like, I think the sort of vision that could really like bring out both the sort of like the comedy of it and the seriousness of it around like some of the World War II stuff that's happening in there. Like it, it, it's not in the Jojo Rabbit vein, like, but like I really feel like there's some really interesting stuff that could happen there. I think it would be a really fun project and I'm sure he's got no shortage of things to be involved with, but um. He definitely loves fish out of water sort of things. And like time travel is just constant fish out of water. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it, it's such a fun book and there's so much fun stuff in there that could be really like well realized. Like I feel like that would be a really nice outcome. Like I feel like he'd be a good match for it. And like, it's an older book now. I don't know that anybody else is going to necessarily like go back and do it. Like, but you know, if you give it to the right person and get them like passionate about the project. Like I feel like we could find something really good for the world there. <laughs> it's yeah. fun funny, Connie Willis is one of those always nearly read, like I, I've I've never actually read her myself. I feel like this is the great kick in the pants to go finally read this one because this is the one that I was always drawn to. Probably because it says dog in the title. Yeah. And also, like, you know, if you just need, like, a fun comedy to get through, like, you know, 
it's playing on the whole Jerome K. Jerome thing and like the three men in a boat, um, to say nothing of the dogs. Like, um, it's just a fun book. Like she, she also can do really like emotionally heavy, like one book, which I read relatively early pandemic and do not recommend as an experience was the doomsday book, which is basically a time traveler accidentally gets sent back to the beginning of the black plague in England. Um, oh. and, um, I don't know why I did that to myself, but I sure did. <laughs> so, um, and it was a really powerful and like amazing book because it's like you go through and you meet all of these characters and um, things don't turn out well in the Black Death, it turns out. Um, so um, it, it was a hard one to get through, but like one that I'd been to do for a long time. And um, yeah, to say nothing of the dog, probably a better fit for the mood of the moment, I would say. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you weren't alone. A lot of people went and read, read you know, The Plague. So a, yeah. a lot of people were in the same headspace as you were, I think. Yeah. Do you have a, a reading project right now? So the biggest ongoing one for me is just really trying to stay abreast of what's going on in Japanese fiction. Like, thankfully, like, I feel like more stuff is getting translated now. Um, and so you have authors like... Um, Suzuki Izumi's like terminal boredom where like she died in the mid 80s and was really like a foundational kind of like punky sci-fi little magical realism like you can feel kind of her influence on like early Murakami kind of author but like her stuff hadn't really been translated so that came out um last year and doing that you know there's the new Kawakami Mieko book like all the lovers in the night that's um going to become I think it comes out on Tuesday it's not it's like sometime this month um, Murata Sayaka, like the person who did Convenience Store Woman, um, mm -hmm. has a short story collection that's coming out June or July. Uh, you know, I lived in Japan and I used to read more of this stuff in Japanese, but it, it, it takes a real, like, it's not that I can't read in Japanese anymore, but it, it takes a real effort. And so it's nice to really be able to engage with this um, stuff more directly. And so you have these older things that are finally getting translated. You have sort of new currently working like big name authors that are kind of um, also people are working with them and getting through their stuff. And I'm really looking forward to um, Morgan Giles as I know completed a draft of the um, big, big um, book by Yu Miri, the one who did Tokyo Anal Station. Um, mm -hmm. So like her really like big reputation making book like that's supposed to be great hopefully that'll show up next year i don't, I don't know what the timeline is for that one in particular but it, it, it's great to be able to engage with these things and, and um, is that partially just because i mean is that because you lived there and you just like to stay stay up on it or does does japanese fiction hold something in particular that you're always needing yeah, I mean, part of it is definitely just the like getting to see these places I was once in to some extent, you know, like, um, but a lot of it is that there's a worldview that is present in a lot of, you know, Japanese culture and in Japanese literature that I have found fascinating for like well over half my life at this point. And um, there's some deep kind of, tensions in sort of a collectivist society of trying to figure out your place as an individual that sort of is a common theme in a lot of Japanese fiction um, that I enjoy seeing people grapple with in different and interesting ways and you know a lot of it is just it's a different 
view on how a person can be and how a society can be where there's just such this deep literary tradition, you know, mm. like going back a thousand years really at this point um, that you can just follow what people have been saying in conversation with each other for so long um, that now you really get to look at um, these people and it, it becomes then like, you know, the text is richer because you have so much more of the background. Like, like I can get more out of it because I've done a bunch of it. That's so fascinating. Tell me about how running a bookstore helps or hinders your reading life. Much of my reading life is not really under my control. So that, that that's kind of both a help and a hindrance, I suppose. Um, like a lot of the reading is that people, you know, we talk with sales reps or we read with like, you know, we hear from authors, we hear from various people about a new book, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time it's like, here is a book by a debut author it has some good blurbs from people whose work I've liked before. Um, but a lot of the time, the copy is like basically what people are telling you about the book is all like, this book is a once in a generation experience. It's going to change your life forever. And like, you, you read this book and like, you're, you know, never going to be the same. Um, and I mean, obviously some books are like that. Like I can point to some books that I have read and I can point to some debut novels that I've read that I would say that that's been true of. But a lot of the time I read and I'm like, I don't know whether I buy that. And like, um, you just end up having to read it yourself to know whether this is actually true. Um, So a lot of it is driven by that or by reading books for upcoming events or, you know, Sometimes we'll do stuff where we're in just conversations with a particularly local authors. Um, so I'll read their book and we'll have a discussion about it. I'm pretty sure you are familiar with this experience. Um, mm-hmm. So um, so there's a lot of that where it's like, you know, I need to read this because we have an upcoming event for Furry Book Club or to decide whether to stock it or not. I think the, the place where it really helps is that I feel like I am a lot more likely than before we bought the bookstore, which was about five years ago now, mm-hmm. um, to actually find weird, obscure titles that I would be interested in. Um, so, you know, it's hard to find some of these things, but like stuff coming out of small presses, stuff coming out of like weird things in translation or stuff that's not quite the sort of thing that I normally read. Um, it's easier for it to end up on my radar. And Mm -hmm. so I think that my reading life has probably become more diverse and sort of deeper because like I'm being introduced to more and like, you know, a lot of that remains in the context of people want us to stock the book in the store and the best way to do it. And then the best way to sell a lot of copies is um, to have us read it and really like the book and hand sell it to people. So there's really this like, oh, there's this weird, weird book, but we think you're specifically going to like it. So yeah. here you go. And then we do it from there. Like one of my favorite stats is we were told by the sales rep for New Directions that um, 
we were responsible for half the sales of the last samurai in canada one year oh my god because we just throw that book at everybody um so you know even as a small store like if we're into it we can have a big impact um, so that's so, the helen dewitt book not the novelization of the tom cruise movie was there a novelization of the tom cruise movie <laughs> no, I, no, I, I kind of hope not but uh, yeah we, <laughs> i'm just kidding but yeah. it's a helen, a helen dewitt title i just want yeah. want everybody to know because it's an incredible novel and yeah i can understand why you can hand sell it because like mm-hmm. it's one of these things that uh is a special read yeah and a good example of a debut novel that did change my life. So there you go. Debuts um, <laughs> can do it. They really. Yeah, they can do it. They they sometimes contain you know, the most pure form of something. Not all of the mm-hmm. time, but sometimes. Yeah. Well, Modi, I so appreciate you coming on the podcast again. Do you have anything you want to plug um, before you go? Ma'am. I mean, if you're in Montreal, I would like you to support us, but otherwise I would like you to find an independent bookstore near you and support them. Like we're really doing the work out here and trying to, um, kind of like, I'm not one of those people that's going to shame you for getting books some other way, if that's the best fit for you. But if you're reading books on paper and you have a place near you to support, I really just recommend doing that. It's a great way. We're here to champion the books and to build those communities out wherever you are. Like, I think that that's really. Well, if anyone is in Montreal and they go to Modi's bookstore and they tell them, like, if someone comes to the store from so many damn books, I hope they tell you because yeah. I, I just think that would be really special. So give the name of your bookstore one more time. Yeah, we're Argo Bookshop. Uh, we're Montreal's oldest independent English language bookstore um, since 1966. So although we've only owned it for five years. So well, definitely go check out Argo. And um, Modi, thanks again. I'm Erin. I'm in Portland, Oregon. And um, I'm a marine biologist and data scientist by profession and I read a lot of fiction and nonfiction and sort of all of the the genres are my favorite genres. So um, yeah, reading is is maybe my favorite hobby. I love it. Yeah, and I also, Portland is showing up in in the listeners and I, and I appreciate that. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I mean, we definitely consider ourselves to be a literary town. I. I think rightfully so. It's a land of books up there. I feel like maybe a lot of towns consider themselves to be literary towns. A lot of readers in literary towns <laughs> consider their towns to be such, but... Yeah, but not everybody has Powell's, you know, right? It's true. It's true. Powell's is a, is a badge of honor. And I'm sure people there have their own opi- actual opinions about Powell's that they keep to themselves or something. <laughs> so thank you for coming to all the way from Portland to to be on the show. I'd love to know if um, if you've bought anything anything good recently. Yeah, actually, I, I do live in Portland and I do love Powell's and have been going to Powell's since I was a very, very small person. Um, but I also have another favorite bookstore called Broadway Books, mm. which also you can order anything online. So I highly recommend it. And they just had their 30th anniversary yesterday, awesome. um, which is kind of a, a really long time for a very tiny bookstore. 
Um, and so I went down and I, I bought myself a copy of one of my favorite books, which I did not have a copy of because um, I keep giving it away. Um, but it's uh, Mink River by Ooh. Brian Doyle. Okay. And it's it's a really, really beautiful book. What's it about? It's um, about a fictional town on the Oregon coast, which is also the, the very real town that I grew up in. And um, it's... Uh, about life and <laughs> so it's got some magical realism there's a oh. talking crow that uh maybe gives some life advice and, and is philosophizing and um sort of the intersection of of modern and indigenous in a really like uh kind way i think maybe okay um yeah and uh, he's a fantastic poet and his prose reads very much like poetry so I always find myself the first couple pages. I'm like, wait, why am I so into this book? And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, okay, I get how to read it. And it's really, <laughs> oh, really yeah. beautiful and engaging, and the characters are lovely. And I love a book that does that. That um, that that sort of slips you into a different gear. Yes, one hundred percent. Like usually, I have to like tick 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 along, but this one's got a weird, you know, mechanism to get involved with. I, I love that. Yeah. Brain calibration. Yeah, it's a different, a different style of reading for me, especially since I'm, I'm a really uh, like plot and character driven reader a lot. And uh, I'm often less concerned about the style of prose. I say that in a very vague way. I hate bad writing. It's not that I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> um, but things that are very lyrical are often not my favorite stories. Writing with a capital W. That's sort of like, yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Tell me then, what's the, what's the last book um, that you loved? Oh, another book that I re I recently bought a copy of um, to send to my brother for his birthday, which is coming up, uh, is We Are Watching Eliza Bright. Oh. And uh, I really, really enjoyed that book a lot. Kind of felt like a gut punch. <laughs> um, I... I often like books that are told from multiple points of view and especially in sort of different formats. And the book is like, some of it is dialogue and some of it is text and some of it is narrative. And um, so, uh, yeah, that might be something that I really recently read that I enjoyed enough to then go buy a copy to send to somebody else. So, that's, yeah. That's some high praise right there. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the best I can say about a book is I immediately went out and then bought it. <laughs> I use the library. I don't buy that many books because uh, my dad's a librarian. I've been on the library board for 10 years. Um, so I use the library a lot, but I often only go out and buy books when I'm buying them for other people. I understand. I'm, my mom's a librarian, so I get it. You know, it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a very specific thing, wanting to, to own a book versus to just get it from the library is... Because it's like you you get a lot from the library, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a library is also an experiential thing. It's not just a repository. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Yeah. No. I and and I used to really ride um, library holds. Like I I used to follow a few Twitter accounts that were like ready set hold. That was like getting <laughs> ready to to put a hold on a on something that was coming out. So. It's, yeah, it's I do a, that too. It's a lovely tool. <laughs> and Overdrive has completely changed. I, I get most of my, a lot of audiobooks now. Yeah. Whatever 
library card you have, they can usually connect you into the overdrive world and then audible. I mean, you have all the audiobooks you could ever want. Yeah, I um, am. I mean, one of the things I've been doing as a, as a volunteer in the library board for years is, is over overview of the budget every year and making recommendations for the library budget. And it's amazing to see how, so we track these like usage statistics for for uh, digital content with overdrive mm -hmm. which of course during covid has just shot up so significantly and it's exciting it's it's terrifying because it's extremely expensive for libraries to provide these services but it's also really exciting that we're reaching so many people with this kind of that, that people pre-covid maybe didn't even know that we had mm -hmm. um or they didn't they didn't know how to use and they were like if i had an hour I would go figure yeah, out yeah. The, how like to the, use that. It's not a huge barrier to entry, especially for people who are really tech savvy, but like it took a while for my parents to get into using it and to enjoy using it. Um, and I, I think that many people uh, got themselves over that learning curve during COVID, which is exciting to me. Super exciting. So what is your reading project right now? my reading project is that i um i won a raffle and uh it was even better because when i by the time i won i did not remember that i had entered the raffle oh, so best. i got a notice saying that i won a raffle and i thought that this was, was like a spam thing um but i won a raffle from literary arts which is our sort of local um they put on the the book festival every year and they run a lecture series and they partner a lot with the library and um, Tin House Publishing brought over a 20 pound box of books to my house. Oh my God. That's my raffle prize. <laughs> um, and uh, like I said, I don't, I don't often buy books. I rarely buy books that I haven't read already. Um, and uh, so I had kind of forgotten how exciting it is to just have a ton of novels that are like just for you. <laughs> Nobody else has ever picked up these books. And I, they don't have to go back to the library. They can sit on my desk for a while if that's uh, if that's what I want to do. Um, and what so beautiful I designs! Tin House has great, beautiful books. Yes, yeah, it's uh, it's not just uh, any publisher, but a publisher that I really love and was really excited to um, to see what they brought over. And and also because I like a lot of their books, I had read some of the ones they came, mm. but most of them I have not read yet. So have um, you have you pulled anything from the box yet? Um, the one that I'm super excited to start that I haven't started yet. I have this, I'll fill this so you can see I have these giant stacks of books behind me that like came from them. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, a few days before this box of books showed up, um, I had picked up this short story, I'd finished a short story collection by this author, Jennifer Nansambuga Makumbi. Mm -hmm. She's a Ugandan British writer. And I finished that short story collection and thought these were so good. I got to see if she's written anything else. And then her novel was one of the ones that was in the box. A girl is a body of water. Oh, um, so great cover. That felt really fortuitous. So I'm really, this isn't the, um, the one that I'm going to like sort of dig into first. I'm excited about. Looks um, formidable. It's a, yeah, because her other, like I said, was a short story collection. And then this is a very thick novel with very small print. 540 pages, but I'm super <laughs> excited to read it. And the short story collection was all about um, Ugandan immigrants in, in the UK and then uh, 
uh, Ugandan immigrants in the UK who had returned to Uganda and like what that was like. And they're like kind of funny and kind of dark and um, I, I really enjoyed it. So I'm really looking forward to reading, reading this novel, so. Yeah, no, it sounds great. That's awesome. Have you uncovered any books recently that you can't believe you didn't hear of before? I think I had heard about this book a ton, Braiding Sweetgrass. Again, I'm, I'm going to blank on the name of the author. It's uh, Robin Wall Kimmerer. It's about indigenous ways of knowledge and understanding um, the living world. And I'm a biologist. And sometimes these kinds of things are... Uh, too, this is going to sound so dismissive in a way that I don't necessarily mean, but like they're too out there. They're too woo-woo for me. It's not my way of looking at the world. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily mean to say that my way is the only right way, but um, but this author is also a botanist and uh, a scientist. And so she's coming at this in, in sort of two different ways. And uh, the book really resonated. And then I was shocked to find out this book has been around for years and years and years. And this was like the first that I had read it. I was like, oh, that's kind of kind of embarrassing because I'm a biologist. I work in conservation. I work with uh, the tribes of this region quite a bit. Um, and so I was kind of shocked that I had not come to this book uh, years ago. A little embarrassed that I had not like discovered this book many years ago. Had, had you <laughs> pretended to have read that book before you No, read it? no. <laughs> Okay. I am. I have read so many books. I read more than most people that I know. I I never feel the need to pretend to read a book that I haven't read. <laughs> okay. All right. I am very secure in my like reading background. <laughs> I I will say, sometimes I will just agree because the point isn't whether or not that I've read the book. It's the point is to continue the conversation and yes, and, that's and fair. Hear what the person has to say about it. So I will sometimes fudge my reading past in order to continue <laughs> the conversation forward and uh, say something like of course I've read Les Mis but I read it in the French and so I don't <laughs> feel like I can talk about it now <laughs> I mean I do say that too so <laughs> I I'm so fascinated by braiding sweetgrass it keeps coming up I haven't read it yet but it seems like one of okay, these books I highly recommend reading it and, and I think that it did really speak to me because of my academic background um and she talks about you know being in a doctorate program and I'm like oh yeah like I remember that <laughs> like, um and uh and I see also in my work the ways that indigenous knowledge is dismissed sort of in the policy making world so so there's a lot in there that I felt was like uh resonated with me in a way that maybe it wouldn't for everybody, but it is still uh, completely worth reading for everybody, I think. You don't have to be a biologist to feel like this book is super important when you read it. Nice. I have a, I have a, maybe a woo-woo question, but what do, what do books give you that all the other forms of storytelling don't? Ooh, that's a good question to me because I am not, um, I'm not really a movie or TV watcher. And part of that is because I'm not severely, but to some extent face blind. 
Mm. And so I don't, uh, I have trouble telling characters apart a lot when I see things on the screen. It, that makes it hard to resonate with the, the story. But in reading, uh, things are, are much more real to me than when I watch them. I, I mean, there's movies that I like, there's TV shows that I like fine. Um, but I will always go to reading as my primary source of, of information and, and of story and a point of view and understanding things. Mm-hmm. Um, and also one of the things I don't really like or is lacking for me on the screen is time and the time element of, of moving through a story at my own pace is, uh, is really valuable. And when I'm listening to audiobooks, I often speed them up or slow them down depending on uh, how I want to be hearing it or be processing it or uh-huh. uh, controlling the flow of information to me is so important and is really hard to do when you're watching something. Yeah, so, especially with other people. No necessarily, like, I need to pause this. Let's all let this sink in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or um, I also, uh, I can't stand to watch things where like people are are uncomfortable or like unhappy. And so uh, if I'm watching something myself, I'll often like pause something. I have to like walk away and then like come back. <laughs> so it's hard to watch things with other people because I can't be like, oh, I feel uncomfortable now and I need to pause this for two minutes. <laughs> I completely understand that. My, I mean, my wife likes to just say like, they're actors. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> this didn't really happen. And I, I, I worked as an actor from, for about 10 years when I was a kid. Really? And yeah, in theater, not, not in like movies or anything, but I, I worked for a theater group and, and t- missed a ton of school growing up because I was always on tour with the theater and um, so I understand how acting works. <laughs> me, me too. But um, I get lost in it. So I, I completely yeah, understand. Yeah. That 15 second skip button on Audible is really gets a workout for me of going. In, yeah. I, I'm always like, let me let me hear that again. Or like, let's skip forward just a second and see, make sure I'm still understanding yeah. here because I didn't like what was happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do that too. So do you have any um, books that are surprising on your shelf? The book that shocks people when they see it on my shelf is uh, The Rules, which I think came out in the 90s. And it's rules for, I can't remember the subtitle, but it's rules for women on how to uh, catch a man and how to get him to marry you. Oh, okay. Okay. Like the um, like the game for horrible men. There was the, yeah, ru- <laughs> the rules. I, I, I feel like the rules came first and then the game was like the, <laughs> the, the one-upmanship response yeah. of like oh, assholery uh-huh. um, or this idea that like dating is um, based in conflict sure. um, rather than than actually connecting with another person. <laughs> or, and uh, my best friend in college gave this book to me as a joke. Not, and not to help. No, no, I did. <laughs> I did not need help getting dates when I was in college, and I was also very much not interested in getting married. <laughs> I mean, and now I've been with my partner for eighteen years or something like that, and we're not married. Obviously, getting married is like not a high priority for me. <laughs> um, but uh, the book is extremely funny. It has many gems, like don't accept a Saturday night date after 
Wednesday. Like if he asks you on Wednesday or later to go out on Saturday, you have to say no, even if you don't have anything planned. Right. Don't be an afterthought. You're very busy. You don't want to be an afterthought, right? You want him to like prioritize asking you out. And and my friend, when she gave me the book, she said, it's funny because you're going to hate all of these and you're going to think they're absurd, but they work. They work for you because you just do them all already. Like you already have <laughs> plans for Saturday night by Wednesday. So if the dude asks you out on Thursday, it's too late. <laughs> but but this is like, you know, don't leave things at his house. But the Gosh. best one to me that you'll think is funny is to, um, that he has to give you jewelry or flowers for your birthday. And if he gives you books, then you should dump him. <laughs> <laughs> because a book is a gift from the head, not the heart, but oh jewelry God. is a gift from the heart. And, uh, I mean, obviously, there's a lot to unpack there. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, well, I will say there are sometimes when a book gift from a, from one person to another is the wrong thing. Um, but <laughs> but I don't think it's, I don't think it's a rule. I don't think you can yeah, say anything that's not about um, the idea of giving a book. Right. Right. Um, but uh, may maybe getting a book as a gift is a really good diagnostic because like, you know, I don't know if a guy gave me the fountainhead <laughs> would be, you know, you'd be like, oof, well, this is like, you know, that was a good, a good litmus test because this is not going anywhere. Well, <laughs> yeah, if, if someone pulls out, you know, Jordan Peterson's book and says, this book really helped me a lot, you know, you can, <laughs> that's a good indicator of maybe you need to run away really quickly. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, I mean, maybe a book is a great. Maybe it's the best gift. Maybe they're completely and they're so wrong that they need to issue a correction. <laughs> well, I so appreciate you hanging out and being a featured reader. Uh, do you Thank have you anything so you want to plug or recommend on your way out here? The book I'm going to recommend yes. is uh, "The Red Clocks" by Lenny Zumas which I read years ago when it came, Zumas, I think is, mm -hmm. is the name. And uh, I read it when it came out years ago. I was late to a dinner party because I was finishing it and I couldn't put it down at the end. And then I got to the dinner party and everybody's waiting for me. And I'm like, I'm going to be an asshole, but I just finished this book. I like got to tell you about <laughs> it. It's so good. And uh, They didn't know that you were, they were coming to your book report and not just- <laughs> This is my book review dinner party. Um, <laughs> And, uh, but it's about um, uh, a group of women. It's another book set in Oregon. And uh, I think there's four or five different women. And it's about how rules about or laws about um, reproductive rights affects them. And it's set, uh, it's not like Hands Maiden Tale, which is set in some like far future dystopian, maybe, maybe not that far, maybe closer, but it, it, it's more like it's set tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it feels so timely to, to revisit that book right now. Um, it, incredibly terrifying how many yeah, of those things yeah. that can basically come to pass. Yeah. And as, you know, states are talking about um, limiting your ability to leave the state to get health care in another state, there's like also something in this book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, the, the idea that you might have to take a pregnancy test to leave the state, yeah. um, you know, and uh, so 
I, I thought this book was more enlightening and, and far more terrifying than Handmaid's Tale because it feels so close. Yes. And uh, so, yeah, that's a book I recommend. If you, if you haven't read it, you should read it. And if you have read it, it might, this might be the time to revisit it. I, I've, I've been thinking about that book a lot and it's... it's yeah. <laughs> I wish I wasn't, to be honest. I mean, it's, a, it's an incredible book, but I, I hate how prescient it is. I I wish it were a book that, you know, we could read and be like, you know, oof, yeah, that would be terrible. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't have to think about that anymore. <laughs> yeah, good thing we've fixed everything. Yeah, um, yeah. That, that's not where we are, though. And, and maybe that's um, one of the gifts that fiction gives us is, is ex- exploring what these things would look like mm-hmm. um, if, if they came to pass. So, yeah. Wow. Well. Thank you so much for coming Thank you and for having me. hanging out on the show. Um, it is so nice to chat and I am so glad that you're a listener. Um, I really enjoyed the podcast. So thank you. My name is Jacob. I am in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania at the moment. And um I'm a, a poet by trade, I suppose, though not by profession, <laughs> um, and uh, have been a, a fan of the show for several years now, which is uh, kind of the last three years, I'll kind of feel like one small blur, but, <laughs> you know. Oh, well, I appreciate you being a listener to the show. It is so nice to to see, you're, you've been on the show a few times. You, people could go and, and listen to the the Jacob Blockathon. What are you drinking? What's what's um, keeping you company while you chat? A large bottle of Topo Chico seltzer. What is it about Topo Chico? I have a bottle of it myself. But what? How did we get? How did we get brainwashed into this world? A great question. Because I was never a big Lacroix guy. Uh, I would mostly drink it because in, when I was in grad school, the, my office mate would always have it in the little office fridge. And so if it was like a hot day, I was like, well, I'll drink it because it's that cold liquid. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think to, there's, it's, I think because I remember reading something about how it had some sort of special like mineral quality that supposedly is, will hydrate you. I like convince myself that it's, oh, well, I should drink this because I'll get more hydrate. <laughs> right. It's a health drink. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's, it's something's got to be, you know, yeah. And, but, and then they started, you know, the, the Rite Aid around the corner from me now has them. So I know I feel, I feel like they slowly just took over where I didn't hear of them and they have that sort of look to them mm-hmm. where it's old fashioned enough that you're like, has this been around forever? And I just you get the know. glass bottle. Yeah. It's, yeah. Which also I feel like makes it seem more refreshing. Oh, I don't know if, uh, if you drink, but I know that it's um, also a very important, if you're going to make a ranch water, the, the, um, which is just Topo Chico, tequila, and lime. That's okay. it. So it's like a very specific type of, I guess you could do any sort of club soda you wanted tequila and, and lime but um topo chico in, in particular that i think that there's even there might even be a brand of ranch water that uses topo chico now 
It could be. I see now this is me learning what ranch water is because for the longest time I'd see the name and honestly thought it was some kind of like gag water that was made with like ranch dressing. <laughs> like, oh, it's like a prank thing you do, you know? Right. It's like those Jones sodas, the Thanksgiving dinner line where it's like, mmm, it tastes like turkey and gravy. That's just exactly. what I want in a soda. Yeah. So I'm, I have become somehow brand loyal to Topo Chico, I guess. Another classic portion of the show. What did you buy? Have you bought anything fun recently? Have I? That's a good question because I was thinking about that and I don't know. I think I've actually been okay about not buying too many new books because and reading the ones I already have. But I do, I guess the most recent I do have on the way, I think it's supposed to show up tomorrow, um, Hanif Abdurraqib's book, uh, A Little Devil in America. Oh, yes. Yeah, which I've, I've been a fan of his for a while. And I did the thing I sometimes do when a newer book is on a bigger press where the only way I can get a paperback version is if I order it from the UK. Right. Um, so I ordered the UK version of it, uh, and that's supposed to show up tomorrow. Um, Very exciting. He um he won me over by being so such a careful fan or a specific fan of um, Carly Rae Jepsen. Mm-hmm. He wrote a great piece on his uh, book. Uh, they won't don't kill you until they kill you. I think it's, uh, they they can't kill us until they kill us. I think it's. I know what you mean. You mean. They can't Great kill cover. us until they kill us. Yeah, there's a, it's got the the wolf mm-hmm. uh, cover. Yeah, he's he's great. I haven't read that book though. I think he's probably the reason I wound up getting into Carly Rae Jepsen. Actually, really, so I, I have him to thank for that. Well, uh, she's uh, she's a gift. That is true. What's the last book you loved? I read this book, um, Black Space, by Anais Duplan. Duplan. It's this. A collection of essays primarily kind of on the theme of Afrofuturism um, and is but they're all pretty brief and kind of mostly I think focusing on writing and music uh, but it um, it really surprised me because I think I'm I don't typically go I don't read a lot of essay collections I think it's mm-hmm. probably like a, a type of book that I tend to not gravitate toward that often. Um, but uh, it just was kind of like right right moment. I was like, this seems like what I wanna read. I can read a, a couple of these at a time because they're all pretty short. And um, they're all- How did it cross your path? So it, um, I've been a fan of Black Ocean, the press for a long time and they're primarily a poetry press, but they, it's part of, they just started this um, co- uh, series of nonfiction books uh, called Undercurrents. I think they, the first one came out a couple of years ago, which was written by this, um, I guess now mostly known as a nonfiction writer, but who I first knew about as a poet, um, Elisa Gabbert. Um, and she wrote this book called The Word Pretty, which was the first one they put out on the series. And I really loved it. And so I kind of had been keeping my eyes open and I was familiar with Anais Duplan's writing because he used to be mostly known as a poet. Mm-hmm. I knew the poetry. Um, 
And so this was the second book in that series. And they're also, honestly, I don't know if you can see, they're little, they're pretty small, you know, can fit in a jacket pocket kind of thing, which always love that feeling to me. And um, yeah, so it what's was, the title again? Um, so the, the main title is Black Space, all one word, and then colon on the poetics of an Afro future. Wow. Yeah, and it's, re it's really great. Um, highly recommend it. But then also, um, and I think they just put out the third book in that series, which I am, don't know a ton about, haven't heard of the author, but at this point I'm, I'm willing to keep checking them out. Um, and they're, they're, they've seemed to only be doing, and I don't know how COVID maybe affected this, but they seem to only really be putting out one every year or maybe every other year. So it's easy to keep up. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I do like people that keep things on a slower pace, you know, we'll get, we'll all get there. <laughs> What's your what's your reading project right now? I don't I don't know. I was thinking about this because at different time, the, the problem, I think, with so much of my reading and frankly, my art consumption in general is it tends to be very mood based. Mm -hmm. um, it's very hard for me to kind of motivate myself to read a move, read a book or watch a movie or, you know, whatever, if I'm not like really in the, the right mood for it. Um, which is bad for finishing books, unfortunately. But um, I think, you know, there was one point earlier in the year where I was like, I'm going to read all those really big books that I never read. I'm, you know, I'm going to read mm -hmm. the, uh, the William Gass book or the, uh, or I'm going to read Moby Dick or whatever, you know, the, the things that were like in the back of my mind is like, one of these days I'll read this big book that's, you right. know, that everyone who has read it loves, but is you know 800 pages or whatever but then i just read something much shorter because i'm like well this is a little bit feels more manageable i think for me with longer books which i i do love to get into and find myself they're often my favorites of the books that i do finish like when i actually get to one and finish one it might be stockholm syndrome but i always feel like i love the long ones I think about how little I'm reading as far as like the other stuff that's coming in. Like you can see like your inbox sort of filling as you've got this other thing in front of you. And so it, it can be a little bit tough for that to be the only thing that I'm reading. It's just one, the one long book that I'm going to be spending a month on. Well, I wondered for you, if, if, if you're willing to peel back the curtain a little bit, how because, you know, I imagine with your job, it can be hard kind of trying to determine like a specific balance of how to balance like work reading and pleasure reading. And for me, my job requires a lot of reading and writing pretty like uh, dry stuff that can kind of like zap any of that desire to like really read on my, my own time. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, not to like be like, what are your tips? But <laughs> I wonder how you, you kind of find that. Well, you know, I'm, I'm sort of lucky because even when I'm reading for work, I'm reading to find like, did I, how am I enjoying this? How can I make this more enjoyable? Um, and so it's actually sort of a relief when I'm reading finished things because I don't have to have the part of my brain on that's like, how can I fix this? Or does this need fixing? Is there something I need to do here? So it's actually like moving my brain into like an easier gear after being in like fourth gear, you know, coming, coming down. So it's just like a really, um, I feel like that's probably why I can, when I'm reading books, 
And also a big deal for me is to just, is to break things up with comics. Mm -hmm. Um, Comics always like, you can read a few of those and they really can kind of grab you. And then like, you're in the mood, like your, your brain, or at least mine is like, okay, that was nice snacks, but like, let's, let's have a meal. Yeah. I feel like that's, I have a, I have a little bit of a different thing there because my stuff isn't necessarily that I'm reading for work. Isn't necessarily dry and like needing, um, that type of analysis. Right. That makes sense. That's what I, I think also part of, I think I'm still for the last, like, however many years since I read it have been just like chasing that feeling of when am I going to read another book that's going to like grab me like the secret history did which I would think is probably a a common feeling among people who have read that book. I haven't learned my lesson because people trot that out in the same way that they trot out it's like Gone Girl and it's like it's like Gone Girl in that it's like it's a mystery or it's like it's like the secret history in that it's on a campus but like other than that (laughs) Like, I just feel like people, people have used it as like a descriptor to the point of meaninglessness and uh, I still fall for it. So I completely know what you mean. There is kind of, it seems like this whole, like whole cottage industry of books that are described like the secret history that are nothing like it. Yes. You know, it's every year there are a few and sometimes they're still great. There's just a different thing. And then other times it's just like, where did you get that from? Right. And so it's just like, well, maybe they really mean it this time. <laughs> it's okay. It's like, uh, I don't mind being, um, you know, you know, Lucy with the football with, or Charlie Brown and Lucy with the football with this, because like you do end up liking the things that are described, or at least I do. I really do end up liking the things that are described that way. So it's not always a complete mess, but it's just like, okay, it's just another campus novel. <laughs> right. Uh, that seems to be usually the unifying theme is it's like the the big multi-circle Venn diagram of it. Just the only thing in the middle is school. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, that could be, there's there's your next reading project is reading all the, or finding all the ones that are said that, to be like secret history and just are not and make a nice master list for everybody. That'd be very helpful. I do like that. <laughs> <laughs> you can give one book to one famous person. Which book do you give to which famous person and why? I wondered if I was the only person whose answer to this was primarily motivated by spite. (laughs) Um, Because I I struggled with it because I know this is like, I think similar to one that will sometimes be in like when they do the interview in the new, in the New York times, I think. And there people always have these great answers of like, Oh, it is. And I was just like, I don't know. So I, I think I said I'd give T.S. Eliot like Twilight or something to really bum him out. Um, and I, I admittedly, I was like, Twilight, I don't know. Is that like a hacky example of like a bad book? <laughs> I was like, you know what? It can, it can handle it. It can take a little trash talk at this point. So um, yeah, I was just like, you know, I'd say what you will about his importance as a writer. T.S. Eliot, not the best dude seems like kind of a jerk, a little bit smug too, on top of all the other stuff. I was like, you know, make him read that and just be miserable. Uh, you know, <laughs> in, my own, in my own small little way, I could really make him just have a bad day. And that, that, was, that was what kind of popped to mind, which who knows what that says about me. I think a lot of people would appreciate that your first thought was like, okay, let's see whose day I could ruin with this. Um, I, I, 
now I want that to be the question I should like refresh. Like you, you're going to give someone the book to ruin their day. What do you give and why? Um, but I think T.S. Eliot would be bummed by Twilight because he's such, you know, he's such a snooty dude. Yeah, it's also, it's a very, I got a poetry MFA answer. <laughs> it, it's funny how you can have this adversarial relationship with people who you only know through their words. But it's the it's a distillation. It's of 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 a mind. So of course, of course, you can get, be incredibly angry at someone that you're just like, oh, those pages. It's the it's, that's the the death of the author thing. Except instead of oh, what what is the meaning of this work? You know, it's determined by the reader. It's how can this bother me? <laughs> What's your favorite book that's outside of the genre you usually like to read? And so tell me before you start that, what would you, how would you characterize your usual genre? Yeah, I'm not totally sure. Uh, I feel like for a long time it was, you know, as large as this genre is, was poetry. It was there was a stretch where I pretty much exclusively read poetry for a few years. Um, and that slowed down a bit, I think, kind of intentionally and kind of not, because then I was like, oh, I should read all of these other books that I just haven't been paying any attention to. Um, and so I think I do still have a good amount of that. And then a, um, I'd say mostly stuff that, for better or worse, ends up getting characterized as like literary fiction. Mm -hmm. It's it's funny, my my book thing is kind of like my movie watching habits which is I'm like always embarrassed to be like with movies I'm like I mostly watch stuff on like the Criterion channel and with books I'm like it's mostly like NYRB stuff yeah I feel like recently it's mostly been translated stuff too when it's okay. fiction, which is you know okay and so the question is then what's what's your favorite book that's outside of that genre so actually I think the the one that I might have put as my answer and that kind of came to mind um, was one I actually mentioned earlier, which was The Word Pretty by Lisa Gabbard, because I don't tend to read a lot of, I mean, frankly, a lot of nonfiction and then in particular kind of essay collection type stuff. And I remember that really, I was surprised at how much that one kind of grabbed me and um, really how much I was into it, despite it being something that, you know, on paper, I would have been kind of I wouldn't have disliked necessarily, but would have not really been running to go check out. Um, and, and what's what's the what's the story for this essay collection? What's the what's the guiding light for Elisa? I think that it was kind of a mix. Um, it's a lot of she tends to be one of my favorite writers about books. Mm -hmm. um, it was actually the which I think I mentioned as my answer to a book I heard about through the show which I did initially hear about through the show, um, but really loved. And I wound up really checking it out also because she wrote about it. She has like an end of year list with writing, writing about each book she read, and uh, which was uh, Women Talking, mm. um, which I really I, loved. Miriam Tebbs, yeah, yes. an incredible uh, book. Yeah, and it was, I, uh, I think that those were the essays that always stuck out to me, which maybe is just the, the writer part but um 
she yeah it's kind of a it's a mix of that kind of thing uh she has a book that came out more recently that people kept talking about because it came out I think in 2020 and had an essay from 2018 about what would happen if there was a pandemic mm. uh, and it like mentioned Dr. Fauci and like all this stuff where it was like this whole big thing where it became everything that talks about this book is going to talk about how there's an essay that's explaining what's going on now from before wow um, yeah um but so that those were the ones I remember. I remember her, she like writes about like Sebald a lot, who's one of those like the author I always hear about. And I'm like, I should read that one of these days and still haven't. <laughs> but well, the last question that I'd like to to leave on here is um a book that you discovered recently that you can't believe you didn't hear of before. The one that came to mind was this book, Balcony in the Forest, or Balcony of the Forest, by Julian, I think, Grock is how you say it. He's this French author. And that was that was one of those NYRB books. And I thought of that because I remember whenever they do those big sales, you know, whatever, a couple times a year, I always will kind of try to seek out, you know, what are the books I should be checking out from that? And I know um, uh, former guest of the show um oh, why am i blanking on her name erin summers and summers yeah always will be like here are books that are great um or you know what are some other books and so that wasn't one of those but i remember finding like okay well these are the books i'm gonna check out from this and then right after that finding out about this book and being like oh why didn't i know about this book mm -hmm. because it's i found i've been very into books where nothing is really happening except like that a sense of dread is building okay so the, the premise of that book is about these soldiers who are in stationed in this forest kind of in the lead up to world war ii mm -hmm. um just kind of at this outpost like waiting for some enemy to show up and that is kind of like time gets weird and i think at one point uh like a strange fairy shows up that may might not actually exist and you know, it's like this building sense of unease and that mm -hmm. I've found, I think starting with um, the book Zama, which I don't know if you've read, but um, which is about a, a like uh, commander of the Spanish colonial army in I think the 1800s in South America, who's waiting to get sent to Argentina where his wife is and just more and more things keep happening that makes him stuck in this mm -hmm. one place. Um, which there was a movie uh, adaptation of it that I really love um, that I highly recommend. But that that was a book that um, kind of got me into this. Oh, I really like reading this weird. It's like kind of a Kafka thing, but almost reverse because the main guy is kind of a jerk and you kind of enjoy seeing bad things happen to him, <laughs> um, which is a fun little twist on that. But um, yeah, so I kind of was like, oh, I I it almost feels like a magic trick of like how much can happen in this book where nothing is happening kind of thing. Right. I feel like you're, you're, you like a comeuppance. I feel like that's, mm. you're, you're reading for like something just to happen to the unjust. Well, I, yeah, I was thinking about it today because Zama in particular feels very um, fitting for this time in in a weird way even though it was a book that i think came out in the 50s about the 1800s but it's 
about a commander in this like colonialist force who is like cruel and racist and horrible and seeing bad things happen to him and you know i'm like i i'm not necessarily surprised that i find something satisfying about that in this day and age a little bit it i definitely yeah stories of revenge are um are are feeling more and more like something to sink my teeth into so uh, you know, I feel like a lot of us are getting kind of Monte Cristo out from the library these days, mm-hmm. looking for divine retribution. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining and chatting with me again. Um, do you have anything you want to tell to the good people and, and plug for them to check out? I'll plug, even though I have nothing to do with it, uh, the movie Zama uh, <laughs> by Lucrecia Martel, who... Uh, it's it's really weird and unsettling, but very good. And I feel like I don't hear enough people talk about it. So I'll plug that for her. And <laughs> if she wants to then put me in her next movie, just as the guy in the background, I'll take it. Awesome. Well, thanks for being a featured reader. And uh, we will catch up with you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Woo! Well, that is all she wrote. Thank you so much to my reader listeners who are featured on this episode. It was a total blast to talk to you, this one and the last one. You all are great, and I so appreciate you giving up some of your time to talk to me. Everyone at home, if you would like to support the show, I appreciate the support. You can go to patreon.com smdb, and I put up all of the ad-free episodes. If you don't like ads, you can listen to the show there. If you give me just a dollar, a dollar a month gets that. Also, I appreciate it if you go on iTunes and leave a glowing review that helps with the algorithm and all of that. And I hope all of you have a lovely couple weeks. I will talk to you soon. Bye.